All right, so I think I'm just gonna show, cause we didn't have it last week. Um, I'll show the second half of the video that picks up. So we'll look at chapter seven through 12 tonight. So I'll just play the second half of the video so that you guys can get refreshed from the Bible Project people. Let's see if I can figure this out. Put that over there. Oh, no. See, now I got a mirror now. Here we go. Hopefully this will happen. That looks encouraging. Now you can all see the, <coughs> now you can all see the videos that I've been watching on the side here. Quickly get rid of those. All right, are we ready? Yeah. Are we excited? <laughs> But God delivers him from the beasts, and Just like the friends, the king exalts here. Daniel and praises his God, which brings us to chapter 7. It's the pair of chapter 2, and the center of the book where all his themes come together. It's another dream, but it's Daniel's this time. And ironically, he can't understand the dream until an angelic messenger explains it to him. He sees a series of four beasts, one like a lion, then like a bear, then one like a winged leopard, each of these symbolizing an arrogant kingdom. And last of all is a super beast, identified as a really evil empire. And it has lots of horns, a common symbol for kings in the Old Testament. And there's one specific horn, who is an image of an arrogant king who exalts himself above God and persecutes God's people. Now they are symbolized by a figure called the Son of Man, who's an image for both God's covenant people, but also for their king from the line of David. But then all of a sudden, God, who's called the Ancient of Days, comes and he sets up his throne. He destroys the super beast and he exalts the Son of Man on the clouds where he comes up to sit at God's right hand and share in God's rule over the nations. We can look back now and see how all of these stories in the first half fit together. The three stories of faithfulness despite persecution, these are meant to offer hope to God's suffering people among the nations. But they suffer because human kingdoms have rebelled against God and have become beasts. And so these visions encourage patience that God's people are to wait for him to bring his kingdom and rule over our world and vindicate his suffering people. But it raises the question about when God is going to do that, and that's what these final three visions set out to explore. In chapter 8, Daniel has another vision about the final two beasts of chapter 7, but this time they're symbolized by a ram, who we're told is an image of the empire of the Medes and Persians, and then by a goat, who's an image of ancient Greece. And out of the goat come a whole bunch of horns, one of which symbolizes the evil king from chapter 7. And we're told more about him, that he will attack Jerusalem and exalt himself above God and defile the temple with idols. However, in the end, he will be destroyed by God who will exalt his people and his kingdom. Now, by chapter 9, Daniel is very puzzled, especially as to when all of this is going to take place. And so he consults the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah, where God said that Israel's exile would only last 70 years. So for Daniel, the 70 years is almost up. And so he asks God to fulfill his promise soon. But an angel comes and informs him that Israel's sin and rebellion has continued. And so their time of exile and oppression will continue on seven times longer than Jeremiah envisioned. Daniel is deeply disturbed by this, and he has one final vision. We're shown the same sequence of kingdoms. It's Persia, then Greece, and Alexander the Great, followed by lesser kings, all leading up to this final king of the north, who will invade Jerusalem, set up idols in the temple, and exalt himself above God. But then, all of a sudden, this king comes to ruin. 
Now, there's been endless debate about what all of these visions refer to. Many see a clear connection to the exploits of the Syrian king Antiochus in the 160s BC. He killed many faithful Jews in Jerusalem and set up idols in the temple. Others think it points forward to the Roman Empire's role in the execution of Jesus and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70. And still others think it will be fulfilled in future events that have yet to happen when Jesus will return. Now the problem is that the symbols and the numbers, they don't quite match any of these views perfectly. But it opens up the possibility that in a sense, they are all right. The book of Daniel has been designed to offer hope to all future generations of God's people. It did so in the days of Antiochus' empire, and it has ever since. This is why Jesus could use imagery from Daniel to describe and confront the oppressive leaders he confronted in Jerusalem. This is why John, the visionary who wrote the Revelation, could adapt Daniel's visions and apply them to Rome of his day, and also all future oppressive empires. And so the point of Daniel is that all generations of readers can find here a pattern and a promise. It's a pattern that human beings in their kingdoms become violent beasts when they glorify their own power, when they redefine right and wrong, and don't acknowledge God as their true king. But Daniel also holds out a promise that one day, God will confront the beast. He will rescue his world and his people by bringing his kingdom over all nations. And so for every generation, this book speaks a message of hope that should motivate faithfulness. And that's what the book of Daniel is all about. Okay. Glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> okay, we're done. We can go home now? Yep. Now that we figured out how to stop Stop it! Well, you don't want to get any sneak peeks of the of Sunday sermon. You're gonna get rid of that right now. Nope. The answers. I know it's online too. We gotta to get rid of that. Okay. Awesome. Get rid of this. I think we're back in business. Okay, so Daniel chapter seven. Um, I think I'll read a lot of it just so we can kind of make our way through it because it's hard to kind of jump in and out of it because there's so much going on. So Daniel chapter 7. Uh, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw, now that's important because as the video mentioned, this is the pair chapter of chapter 2 where it wasn't Daniel's vision, it was the king's vision. It was Nebuchadnezzar's vision. Now this is Daniel's vision. Okay, so he gets his own dream now. Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed, and he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from each other. The first was like a lion that had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise and devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard, four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. 
It had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked by the roots. And behold, this horn were eyes, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man. Where have we seen eyes before in visions? Like maybe a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Ezekiel? Ezekiel. Like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Okay, so we've got Daniel's vision. We again have four uh, creatures. And similar to chapter 2, right, there were four kind of parts to this vision. But if you remember in chapter 2, they weren't uh, creatures, right? It was the gold. It was the, the statue was gold and silver and bronze and iron clay feet. And those represented various kingdoms. That's the common interpretation. So those things follow here. Most people think that these represent those same four common kingdoms that we kind of continue to uh, come up in the book of Daniel. Instead, these we'll see are actually going to represent kings because later on he's going to interpret uh, those uh, that vision for us in the king. So, um, but yeah, just to kind of stop and pause on that, most guys think that the lion represents the king of Babylon, the bear represents Medo Persia, and the leopard represents Greece or Alexander the Great, and the uh, lion, uh, the last one rather, represents Rome. Fourth beast doesn't. Uh, yeah, the leopard represents Greece, and then the last one represents Rome. The fourth beast, it doesn't really have a name. It just says fourth beast. So we'll look at those again, because later on he's going to interpret some of those. Let's look at verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took a seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. And its wheels, again, wheels, burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Thousands and thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. What do we see in that little section there? What things jump out at us? In the ancient days, okay. you have the books that are open, so it's judgment. Okay. Okay. But it's a Okay, we see judgment. We can see a, a throne, right, representing a king in judgment. Ancient of days, usually uh, a name for God, comes in in Daniel and other places. Clothing white as snow, we see him being pure and, and powerful, and there's fiery flames and eyes and all-knowing and all of that. So we, we see what seems to be a vision of God. <coughs> And so the backdrop, right, of all these other kings, we have these four other kings that were placed, and now all of a sudden we get a, a vision of another king, which seems to be God. Verse 11, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. This seems to be the fourth beast that was killed, from the vision, and the rest of the beasts, even though their dominion was taken away and they were prolonged, eventually they would die as well. Okay, so 
Not exactly sure what that beast represents. Again, most guys think it's Rome. And then it comes back to this kind of vision of this kind of fifth king here. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, now we're starting to get a little more focused here. What sorts of things do we see in that section in 13 and 14? What terms jump out at us? Maybe that Jesus said about himself 69 times. The Son of Man, right? I'm sorry? Seven. Chapter 7, verse 14. Yep, 13 and 14. 13 and 14. So Son of Man was one of Jesus' <coughs> favorite ways to refer to himself, right? So if he's walking around saying Son of Man 69 times, right? And they're saying... Oh, what are you talking about? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are thinking immediately this passage in Daniel, right? That's what they're thinking about. And he came to the Ancient of Days, right? So Ancient of Days, okay, came to Jehovah. So this person, this, this one like the Son of Man, right? We have him coming on the clouds of heaven, right? Usually when there's clouds, it's judgment. And so clouds are not usually good. And to him was given what? Dominion, glory, kingdom. All the peoples, all the nations come and serve him. His dominion, unlike the other beasts, like the other kings, right? Who were, one was killed outright, and the other three, you know, eventually were stripped of their kingdoms. This one is what? Everlasting. Everlasting. It shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that shall not be destroyed. I don't know the ancient of um, I'm not sure the the entomology, I guess, is the word about where that came from, but the idea is just that he's eternal, right? The I am, like from the beginning. Like you, you can't go far enough back where God was not, right? And so a lot of guys, myself included, says this is absolutely talking about a prophecy of the Messiah here. That Jesus himself in the Gospels was calling himself the ancient Oh, oh, I'm sorry, the Son of Man. If I jump over to maybe one passage like Matthew 26, 64. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. It's like he quotes Daniel right before their eyes. In Mark 14 is another place where Jesus Basically quotes the same thing, fourteen sixty two. Like they would have had to look it up like I did. They would, they would <laughs> oh, know no. this by rote. Yeah, right? that's how they learn. They would know this. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and Jesus said, "I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven." Again, same idea. I mean, he's being very, very specific here. And so we see Jesus saying, "I am the Son of Man." I am this fifth king. I am the one who's coming. I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. I'm the one who's going to have an everlasting kingdom. Like these guys did not have an everlasting kingdom. Um, this is a book 
uh, by a man named Rant Petrie, and it's called The Case for Jesus, which is very close to Lee Strobel's book. That's not The Case for Christ, or The Case for Easter, or The Case for Everything Else that Lee Strobel did. But this is a great book. Uh, I'll read a little bit from this where he says, uh, in light of these Jewish parallels, right? Oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. Should there be any doubt about the mess messianic identity of the Son of Man in Daniel, it's critical to note that this is exactly how he was identified by early Jewish interpreters, going all the way back to the first century. Uh, there's examples in Enoch that the Son of Man is explicitly identified as the Messiah. Um, and it seems clear that if Jesus of Nazareth went around proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand and referring to himself as the Son of Man, then he was saying, in effect, the time for the fulfillment of the prophecies of Daniel is at hand. The time for the coming of the Messiah is now. Every Jew in Jesus' audience who knew the book of Daniel would have known he might be right. And so it's, it's one of the clearest kind of things that we see in the book of Daniel that refers to Jesus. Anything else in that little thing that kind of makes you think about Jesus or any other things resonate with you? His kingdom shall be one that will not be destroyed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, amen. Yep, his Perfect. eternal kingdom. Yep, and, and every people, nation, and language should serve him. So there it's you not go. just yep. the, Jew, the Jews, it's, yeah. you know, every, every nation. Yep, going back to the promise of Abraham. <coughs> all the world will be blessed. Yep. You. Yeah, good one. So there's a section starting in verse 15 where it is interpreted, right? Daniel is anxious in spirit. He was alarmed. And he asks, um, and he's, verse 17 says, these four great beasts are the four kings who will arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, ever, and ever. So he's saying, say, okay, there are going to be kings that are going to rise and fall, but those who are going to serve God will inherit that eternal kingdom that we just saw, right? And Son of Man being King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Jesus' kingdom is victorious and eternal. Right? Daniel presses further, and he wants to know more about this fourth beast, and he doesn't really get any answers, unfortunately, in that. Um, he is told basically the same thing uh, from 23 through 27, that he's talking about this other beast that will come up, the, the fourth beast that maybe is Rome, come up and speak against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. So we see that persecuting, that Roman persecution maybe. In verse 27, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of his kingdoms under the whole heavens shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And once again, his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. In the end, it's the same resolution. So Daniel asks for more information. He doesn't really get it. He comes back to the same thing. It says, it's going to be another kingdom, and it's going to last forever. Right? Um, so Daniel sees these visions. He's greatly troubled by these visions. And he is, at the same time, then hopefully comforted that there is a kingdom that will be without end. And that should be God's kingdom. Chapter 8, he then has another vision of a ram and a goat. 
Third year, the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, and he says, I saw in the vision, he saw a ram standing on the bank of the canal with two horns, and then after that, he saw a goat coming from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. So the goat is, the goat's moving, man. The goat's trucking. He's, he's, he's running so fast, he's, he's levitating. And then the goat had these little horns, or other horns, right? The goat, in verse 8, the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. And so, if we go the path of the traditional interpretations here, most guys would say that the ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire, and the goat, anybody know what the goat represents? Not Tom Brady, but Greece. Greece, yeah, Alexander the Great. And a lot of these things we saw, he was probably represented by the leopard the last time, which is one of the fastest animals. And we see this goat that seems to be levitating with super speed, right? Alexander the Great. I don't know that much about his history, but I do know he conquered a lot of territory and he conquered it very quickly. He came in ferociously and spread his empire, but he didn't last forever. And there were then, the, his kingdom was split four different ways after he died. Alexander died in 33 in Babylon, and then there was a four-way split for his kingdom. And that's what we think we're going for with the, the horns that come up out of that. In verse 9, out of them came a little horn, which most traditional interpretations would say go with, that would be Antiochus IV, who was from the Seleucids. And he was the one who really persecuted the Jews. And so if we keep going in verse 10 of chapter 8, it says, This horn, maybe Antiochus, grew great, even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. What do you think that might be a picture of? If Antiochus is a guy who's out to persecute Israel, right, and we see imagery like the stars are being thrown down to the ground and trampled on, what might that tell us is happening to the people of Israel? It's killing them. Yeah, they're getting persecuted, mm -hmm. right? And it's not going well for them. Verse 11, it became great, even as great as the prince of the host, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown, and a host will be given over to it together with the, single, with the regular burnt offering because of transgressions. And so what happened is that, if we keep going with Antiochus, somewhere around 170 BC, came in, trampled the temple. Right? Actually, he was the guy who fulfilled the, uh, the abomination of desolation, most guys think, in that context. He sacrificed pigs on the altar, went into the most holy place, trampled everything, killed priests while they were trying to minister, and then sacrificed pigs on the altar, defiled it, and then burnt it to the ground, and they could not. It was done. They were done uh, worshiping. He entered the temple and destroyed it. Uh, it says uh, he, he inflicted a Greek, Greek form of worship. 
Well, that was that, that big deal, right? Yeah, yeah, could be. Yep. But you definitely violated the Holy of Holies, that's for sure. Yeah, unclean. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Clean, unclean. Antiochus himself doesn't live forever. About 164, he dies. And so there's a period of persecution there, very intense persecution from like 170 to 164. And then uh, in verse 14, it says, He said to me, For 2300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be re restored to its rightful state. And lots of guys go crazy trying to figure out what 2300 means and how it's going to work. But probably. We're talking about that period when, again, the temple is rebuilt. You know, Nehemiah, right? King Artaxerxes says, hey, let's, let's send some people back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. That was the one that Antiochus destroyed. So, could be. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's also probably foreshadowing, again, what will happen to the temple in 70 AD when the Romans will then uh, put down the Jewish rebellion and destroy the temple once and for all. Where was the Ark of the, Co Ark of the Covenant uh, during all this debacle? Um, not sure. It doesn't mention that. Yeah. You know, I don't think that was destroyed, right? The Ark of the Covenant? It's kind of one of the greatest historical mysteries. Yep. Indiana Jones made a whole movie on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, killed all those Nazis. He killed all those Nazis. <laughs> killed all those Nazis. <laughs> that was the freakiest scene when the Nazis' face melted. I remember, oh my gosh. I was in the movie theater. I was probably like 12. I was like, that was gross. But and still, I was like, even like, wow, is God's power like that? Like, you know, he opened the ark and then he just melts. Yeah. That was gross, but kind of cool at the same time. <laughs> um, the dream is interpreted. One who stands before Daniel with the appearance of a man and a man's voice. And he said, Gabriel, so we see an appearance of Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And so he came near to where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. What end? <laughs> Which makes people crazy and scratch their heads. The end of the temple in 170? Or the end of the temple in 70? Or the end when Jesus returns? I'm not really sure. Uh, in context, I would think definitely the end of the temple. The first mm -hmm. time in 160, 170, somewhere around there. Right? Um, he tells him straight up in 20 and 21... We don't often get this kind of clarity in prophetic visions. In 20 and 21, Gabriel says, The ram with the two horns, these are the kings of Media, or Meadow, and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. So he comes right out and says it. So that's why we can be pretty confident that we know those things. Mm -hmm. But Gabriel calls Daniel, son of man? Yes. And he's yep. predicting these things uh, or seeing these things happen. How many years before they actually happen? Not sure. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like hundreds of years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If we're about in the fifth century BC, then yeah. Yeah. So we're talking a couple centuries. A couple centuries at least, two, yeah. three hundred years before it actually happens. He calls out the name of the kingdoms that are going to yeah. replace. Um, Battle with scary accuracy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Josephus, the extra biblical historian, 
has a whole section on this where he just can't believe yeah. how accurate this came out to be. You know? Right. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, then he tells him exactly what that vision was about. Right. Um, and so what sorts of things, even if we pause after seven and eight, again, an application, you know, what encouragements can we take from this? What, what things do we learn about God? What things do we learn about humanity? Sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God, okay. Other verses that tell us he turns kings' hearts, right, like the streams. We see him rising up kings and putting down kings and using nations for his purposes. Is that a comfort? For us, yeah. mm-hmm. we turn on the news. I turned on the news earlier today. I just fired up the web and got a little concerned because Russia just seems like they're going to keep going. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> and they have to remember, God's in complete sovereign control yeah. of all the nations. And that still continues through today. So that should bring us comfort. That God is in control. We see proof of that. We see prophecies, again, centuries beforehand. And we see the eternal kingdom that no king can defeat. And that God's kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Yeah, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Yeah. Everything. Well, it says they're all going to bow on their knee before him, right? Yep. Um, in verse 25, the end of it, we see this, um, I believe it's the goat that will even rise up against the prince of princes mm-hmm. and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. Right? Even try to rage against God or the anointed one and that's not going to happen. He will be put down. Chapter 9, we see another vision, this time with Darius, in the first year of Darius, who was made king uh, over Israel, or where, uh, I'm sorry, Babylon, right at the realm of the Chaldeans, right? In the first year of his reign, Daniel, I, perceived the books of the number of years according to the word of the Lord Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the desolation of Jerusalem, namely seven years. 70 years. So we see now Babylon kind of coming out of the spotlight and power. We see Darius from the Chaldeans coming, right, now taking over, right? We start to see the the reign of the Persians starting to happen, I believe. And now Daniel decides it's a good time to read Jeremiah. (laughs) So he's got the scrolls of Jeremiah. He fires up his uh, Bible app on his phone. Mm And he's like, cool, this is supposed to last 70 years. And Jeremiah 25, 11, that's what he was reading. And we can read the same thing. Jeremiah 25, 11 says, For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, so the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. That was not the right verse that I wanted to read at all. Verse 11, the whole land became a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So that's what Daniel's reading. He's reading the words of Jeremiah. And so then he prays to the Lord. He says, I just read your word, and it's supposed to be 70 years, 
And by my calculations on my prison cell house here in Babylon, uh, we're pretty close. 70 years, so this should be over soon. Right, God? And he has this whole big prayer. Maybe we can read this prayer because there's a lot in there. I turn uh, Chapter 9, verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So what do we see so far? What's the position of Daniel in prayer? Down. Yeah, down. down. What is he doing? What else is he doing? It's kind of mourning, isn't it? Yeah. Like yep. Yeah. Great humility, great grief. He's fasting. He prays to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Always a good idea to remind God of how awesome God is and how faithful he is. He confesses these things to him. And he says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who warned us that this was going to happen for hundreds of years, who spoke your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us belongs open shame. As to this day, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. So what's he doing? What is he saying to the Lord? <coughs> Okay, yeah. He's sin. confessing sin, right? He's confessing like, sin. we know why we're here. Yeah. We didn't listen to the prophets, and we sinned against you. We deserve this, right? So he's starting this prayer with confession and honesty and humility, right? We can learn a lot from that prayer. He's stuck on sea. Yeah, yeah, I guess he is. He did adoration. He's definitely yeah, spending some time on sea and confession. Yep. Yeah. But... How often do we rush into the presence of God, right? I mean, if this were me, I'd probably be like, God, it's 70 years. Get me out of here. Like, when does the boom start? Like, you know, let's go. You're supposed to be doing this. But he starts in this humble, on his face, and confessing and saying, no, we deserve this. We're, we didn't listen to your prophets. He said, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings and princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. Verse 9 to the Lord God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants and the prophets. Like, we had all this. You told us all this. We just didn't read it. We just didn't listen. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses and the servant of God have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. Over and over and over again, he's saying, we've sinned, we deserve this. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like this, which has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by our truth. What does he say? Not only do we deserve this, but did we repent? No. He's like, we didn't, we didn't even turn around. We didn't even <coughs> repent. He's like, we kept going. 
all this calamities came. We have not entreated the favor, nor have we turned from our iniquities. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who's brought your people out of the land of Egypt, always good to remind him about Egypt, the mighty hand, and made a name for yourself this day. We have sinned, and we have done wickedly. Sets the foundation. 16 is his request. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and because of the iniquities of our fathers. Right? He says, "Um, please, now it's enough. Please let your wrath end. Turn away your wrath and your anger from us. Listen to the prayer of your servant. Listen to my pleas for mercy, he says, for your own sake. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which, by the way, is desolate because we're not there anymore. We're in Babylon. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of our great, your great mercy. Hear, forgive, pay attention, act, delay not for your own sake. Now he gets to it. He's like, please help us. It's, it's done, right? It's been 70 years. We deserve this. Please help us. Right? What can we learn about prayer from this? Be humble, not arrogant. Yeah. There's a lot of humility in that. Yeah, absolutely. Be honest with God. I mean... Not like he doesn't know. <laughs> like, yeah. If he, yeah, if he wants to know our feelings. And um, yeah, we deserve it. Uh, <clears throat> Confession. Confession is a huge it. part of it. We yep. need to, yeah, we need to be honest with God because He already knows what we're going to say. Right. So we can't fool God. Right. Yeah. I mean, we can't run yeah. around in circles with God because He yeah. He knows our thoughts. The, the the Greek word for confess is homo logeo, which if you put those two things to, together means literally say the same. Logeo say homo mm-hmm. same. So it's you're saying you're agreeing with God. When you're confessing sin, you're saying, I agree that this was sin. I say the same thing you are about what just happened. Right? And that's exactly what Daniel's doing. I know why we're here. You told us why we're here. We sinned against you. And you warned us for hundreds of years. Yeah. And he's like, and worse yet, we're still not turning around. But please have mercy on us. Right? And he reminds God that we're still your people. Yep. Reminds God how faithful he is. Yep. You've done it before, God. You did it in Egypt. Yep. Please it nine, do it again. It was 99.9% of, um, uh, of getting help for your problems is to admit you have a problem. Yeah. It, you have, it, and sin, yeah, sin's the big problem. Yep. Uh, Definitely. So while he's, while he's praying, verse 20, Gabriel shows up again. He's seen in his first vision, so Gabriel's back. He made me understand, speaking with me right now. He's, I've come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell you, first of all, you're greatly loved. That's got to be really comforting. Oh, that's to hear that. Yeah, just to hear that. Exactly. You're in exile. You've been in exile for 70 years. You understand it's all your fault. 
you see these terrifying visions. Let's start here. Let's start here, Daniel. You're greatly loved. My, my translation says, for you are treasured by mm. God. That's great. Yeah. I mean, Daniel's, we're assuming with good reason that Daniel's faithful and yeah. has remained faithful. And so it's, he's treasured. That's, that's a really cool translation. Yeah, restoration can't come right until we confess our sin. Yep. Uh, it's not going to come. Yep. So Gabriel has some bad news because in verse 24, right, Daniel's coming into this saying, hey, 70 years, we're almost out of here, right? 77? And he, Gabriel says, uh, good news is you're greatly loved. Bad news is it's going to be seven times longer until you are established, until until the this vision that you have seen of the Messiah actually comes to fruition. And so it says, depending on your Bibles, mine says 70 weeks, and it has yeah. a footnote where right. it says 77s. Most people think it is 70, you know, the, the 70 times 7, and that comes to 490 Nine years. Yeah, mine is footnote 490 years. Yeah, so... Sorry, Daniel. Um, it's not going to be 70 years. It's going to be 70 times 7 until this is all over. 490 years. Your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, the coming of the anointed one, eh, 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 Messiah language here, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, and then he gets into all this stuff. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, anointed one. Well, that's really what it is. Yep. So he says, yes, sorry. It's going to be seven times as long. And this is where people lose their minds with all this 70 times seven and these other weeks and... 62 weeks and all of that stuff. And we'll just say up front that we don't know for sure what this means. There are interpretations all over the map. Um, what I like to think it's talking about, I think it's pretty clear it's talking about the coming of the Messiah. It's just how does that line up with everything? But if you were to do some basic math, 490 years, right? The command to rebuild in 457 BC, right? So if that's happened, like, okay, from the time you're gonna rebuild 457 AD, if you were to add 490 years, that's gonna put you exactly in the first century where Jesus will be on the scene. Wow. And so that's what a lot of guys think. I'll read you a little bit more of Grant Petrie because he gets really, really excited about this. And I think he's right. Um, Let's see where he does this. Yeah, I'll just read this part. Um, well, he has some things from Josephus. Uh, again, the, the Jewish historian. Um, we are convinced that Daniel spoke with God, for he did not only prophesy future events as did the other prophets, but he also determined the time at which they would come to pass. This is Josephus. This is not a Christian. This is not in the Bible. Uh, Eusebius says, uh, we count the numbers, that is to say, the 70 weeks, which are 490 years from the going forth of the word of the answer to the building of Jerusalem. This took place during Artaxerxes, 
for Nehemiah, his cupbearer. Remember the beginning of Nehemiah? He received the answer that Jerusalem should rebuilt, be rebuilt, and the order went out. And from that time to the coming of Christ is the 70 weeks or the 490 years. He says, in short, if one calculates the exact date spoken of by Daniel, the 490 years between the restoration of Jerusalem and the coming of the Messiah are undeniably completed before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. In other words, Daniel's prophecy clearly points to a fulfillment in the first century, which I don't know. I just think that's so cool. But not only is he talking about things that are going to happen, you know, four centuries from now, he's talking about things that are going to happen when Jesus comes. And it's, yeah, we don't know. Some of the dates don't line up, but I think it's close enough that we can, we can take that. We can take that to the bank. Right? Wow. Well, let's look at some of the themes here, too. So Daniel, um, praying, right? Confessing. Fasting, humble, hopeful, because it's been 70 years, and the answer is no. you got to wait. you got to wait seven times longer. You're not even going to see this happen. So what do we do when God says no? What do we do when we've poured everything out to God and God says no? Oh, we just wait. continue uh... We have to just continue repenting of our sins, confessing our yeah. sins, changing our hearts, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Uh, keep praying. Yeah. So God gives us enough rope to hang ourselves in. <laughs> so it we does. have to. Um, I mean, we can be praying for lots of things, right? We can be praying for lots of good things, like the salvation of our kids. Right. We have to pray for everyone. If you're single, you could be praying for a spouse. Exactly. Right. For everyone. And God yeah. says, "Nope." What do we do with that? Don't become paralyzed. We keep praying. Um, yeah. Keep on moving forward because God has a plan. As long as we have breath, yeah. Uh, God still has a plan for us. Yeah. Yeah. We bloom where we're planted. Yeah. 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 To, to use a phrase like that, you know, we yeah. continue to yep. show the love of God. Exactly. Keep on keeping on. Right? Keep on keeping on. Yeah. As long as we're drawing breath. Yeah. So many people that don't know, we just just try to bring. Yeah. So we try to get them to understand something. Sure. Maybe by our actions. Yeah. Hopefully, both our actions and words. Yeah. yeah. I think maybe people don't listen. Good. I think maybe adjusting your your dreams and your hopes and your plans for your life to what God might have for you. Yeah. As you know, difficult and disappointing as that may be, it might be the. Chance to accept, like, okay, God clearly yeah. didn't have this for me. Yeah, what else is there? You yeah, know, and stop being like, oh, well, my dream has to happen. Yeah, it might not be what God wants for me. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes that just becomes so. I mean, the shock of that, right? Realizing that it's not yet, or realizing it's going to be longer, or if at no answer is God's answer. Right? It's not saying we can't still pray for those things. That's right. not saying that, you know, we don't know when that answer will come. And we have to trust it. Yep. Yes. Yep. Even in the midst of, you know, disappointment. Sure. Because this provision is still there. Yeah. It might and not be exactly what you want. Better than the one you have. 
Yeah. yeah. Even when we think he's not working, he's working. Even when we don't think it's better for us, actually. Yeah. 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 yeah, because Israel still wasn't wiped out. Yeah. And, you know, even yeah. today. Still a remnant. Yeah, so it's a, these things are, as we kind of separate this, like, yeah, we can go crazy looking at the numbers and all that stuff. But in the middle, we have Daniel, who is crushed, you know, by what Gabriel says to him. Right, and we can totally relate to that. He was comforted too, because he was told, you know, he was comforted. Yeah, well, he softened the blow. He's like, first of all, before we go any further, you're greatly loved. That's the good news. And, and that, Bad news. <laughs> so we have to know that for ourselves, even when we go through our lives. Yeah. Lives. yeah. He's a good God. He's still gonna come. He's gonna come. Yeah. So our last three chapters of Daniel, he's got. Uh, an extended vision in 10 and 11, which is kind of the same vision. It's kind of Daniel's vision of the final conflict here. Um, he sees uh, this terrifying vision of man again. Uh, we see Michael showing up, one of the angels. Um, we see God knowing and directing world events, right? working behind the scenes and kind of pulls back the curtain. If we were to read this, but we don't have time to get into it that much. If we were to, we were to read it, we would see, uh, we, we kind of see the curtain being pulled back and we see spiritual forces at work directing these nations for God's glory, right? Um, Is Daniel in prison now? Or where, 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 where do you think he... He's, he's in doing? Babylon. I don't, he just, I don't think... The text tells us he was no. in prison. Well, I, think I think he was. They were enslaved. He was. He yeah, was they, in you know. the service of the kingdom. Right. Okay. But I don't, it wasn't in the jail cell. Right. If you look back to all the way, like in the beginning, right, he was put into service of the, the king, and then he went through all those trials and tribulations, survived the lions and mm -hmm. all of that. So no, it's it's not a it's not a jail cell. But he's it's not like he's free to leave. <laughs> right. I'm gonna head back. No, no it's not gonna work. So then we have these kings of the north and the south come up, and there's all this power struggle, right? There's power struggles in the middle of verse 11, uh, chapter 11 of the king of the south and the king of the north. We don't know, as you, if you might remember the end of the video, um, it could be Antiochus the fourth again, could be talking about that, could be talking about Rome and Jerusalem in 70 AD, could be talking about the end of the world. We're not sure. And I loved what the video said. The guy's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We don't have to chase this down and figure out, because we're not going to know with certainty what this is, this side of heaven. But it doesn't matter. Because why? Because God is still sovereign over whatever those situations are that this is representing. Right? No matter which kingdom is in charge, or no matter which kingdom is being put down, or whether it's the king of the south or the king of the north, or whatever else, God is still the king of kings and lord of lords, and he's still the one directing all of these events. And so, yeah, I would encourage us to not get tripped up in you YouTube all this stuff. You could you could watch it for weeks about all the different theories about what these things are, right? I would encourage you not to do that. That's not a good use of time. The takeaway is that God is sovereign. Yeah, we're told how the story ends. And we know how the story ends. Yeah. yeah. Do we have a rough timeline of when the temple was rebuilt by like Nehemiah? What century? It started in one sixty four. BC. Yep. And then was there, I'm not sure, I don't think it was destroyed again. 
And then Herod showed up on the scene um, when Rome did take over Palestine, right? And Herod showed up on the scene. Herod was well known for his building projects. And so he's like, that's a temple. I'll show you a temple. And then he just made this glorious temple out of it. So that was, those are the, what you see today, the, the ruins of that temple that Herod had built, which was huge, absolutely huge. And then in chapter 12, he again talks about the time of the end, which is most likely, I think, talking about the return of Christ, the end times, um, where, where world history will come to an end. I, I love the end of it in 12, verse 9. Um, of course, Daniel's still flipping out about all these visions, right? He sees more messengers, and verse 9, they say to him, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So he's almost like saying, don't worry about this. Like, just go your way. Go on. Yeah. Do your thing. Like, you've seen all this. We need to write it down. Right, we need to preserve it, but these things are sealed until the time of the end. Like when you're supposed to know, you'll know. When the Lord comes back, we'll all know. Like that famous quote by somebody I can never remember. We're gonna know. We're gonna. We're gonna need. To, we're gonna learn everything we need to know about the return of Jesus in about ten seconds. Right when it happens. Yeah, and millennials. Yeah, and out the end. <laughs> we're not gonna miss anything here. Right. There's no secrets that were unlocked. Like, oh man, I missed the return of Jesus because I didn't understand Daniel 12. So, so uh, verse four and twelve, where it says, "Shut up the words, seal the book." Yep. Were, were there additional visions that Daniel had, or are they talking about these? <laughs> Whatever we're supposed to have, we have. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if there were others that he shut up. And there might be, but yeah, I mean, the Lord didn't include him in the canon. So, whatever we're supposed to have in the Word of God, you know, we're we're not we're not missing anything. It's not going to tell us anything different. Um. Yeah, but again, in verse thirteen, but go your way until the end, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Right? It's just kind of the encouragement at the end of this. Like, just do your thing, Daniel. Do what God has called you to do, and he will take care of all this other stuff, right? Go your way until the end, until it's time. Until the Lord returns, and then it'll be very, very obvious. And you think about the blessing that yeah. a guy like Daniel has, right? You shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of days. He's going to receive that blessing. Yeah. So Daniel, a... Um, Deep book, a lot of symbolism in it, and a lot of unknowns. The takeaways, God is sovereign over all things, including nations, right? The Messiah is not something that was just thought of in the first century, right? That was from the beginning of time, and throughout the whole Bible points to the Messiah coming, and he did come. And I think we can say with, with fair accuracy, like, look at the word of God. Like, it is pretty accurate. Like, you, you put the big pieces in there, you can see that this lines up to the first century. And that's just so cool how the Word of God does that. Um, and then the comfort, you know, the comfort of being faithful to the Lord that Daniel receives. He's greatly loved. He's treasured. And the blessing that he has for that. So it's, it's encouragement for us to be faithful.
as well. No matter what we see in the news, no matter what we might worry about with the Lord returning, right? It's encouragement to be faithful. Closing thoughts, comments, disparaging remarks? Kind of like what my wife tells me. Uh, <laughs> knock it off. We'll get through it. <laughs> I like it. Wisdom right there. Right, right Tony? Yeah, knock it off. You could paraphrase you could paraphrase verse nine for that. Go your way, Frank, for the words are shut up and sealed to the time of the end. I was thinking Go about your business. Go about your business. God has just a marvelous, wonderful way of giving us a spouse that offsets our weaknesses and our frailties. Amen. Yep. Uh, but we see again the comfort that is directly for, for Daniel here yeah. from the Lord himself. I love when he's like, do not be afraid, O man, highly esteemed. Yeah. Peace, be strong now, be strong. Yeah. That was uh, 10 verse 19. It's crazy that. though, he gives them this like frightening stuff to see. And then oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see leopards and lions and kings coming up and yeah. it's like Paul said to uh, uh, run the race yeah and, and the reward is in the end yep keep on running yep and running is hard yep you get tired yep and uh, and the sin easily entangles yeah life gets tired life yeah sure does <coughs> So yeah, onward to Hosea next week, which we'll try and we might even tackle Hosea and Joel. We'll see. We're getting there. Sing the whole song for us. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, this book. And although we just do a, an overview, a fly over it, uh, Lord, it is uh, so deep. And there are so many things that we don't understand and we don't have the time to delve into it um, in this setting, Lord. But help us as we read this, as we meditate on these words, help us to separate truth from uh, false teaching as there's so much false teaching out there about things like this. Help us to focus on the things that are clear, your sovereignty, your providence, your plan, um, your goodness, your faithfulness, um, your love of us, your understanding of how world events and trials and adversity causes us uh, to have our faith shaken. And as we see that Daniel was at times deeply disturbed and anxious about these things, and yet you come to him and comfort him. So comfort us, Lord. And most of all, cause us to, in those times of prayer, model uh, Daniel's confession and repentance and humility but also trust you, Lord. Help us to hope in you, no matter what we see going on in the world around us. And let's face it, we do see political powers and nations at war with other nations and China doing whatever China is doing, Lord. And sometimes it makes us <coughs> afraid. Help us to trust in you and remember that you are the one that does all of these things for your sovereign good. So strengthen us, Lord, to hope in you. We thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.